It's your host, Charles. And it's Whitney. We're back with the accidents of our past segment, and we have a new special guest today that we're excited to welcome on the show to talk about some of the accidents that have shaped their life. Awesome. So I want to give a warm welcome to our very special guest, a good friend of mine, Buki Adebayo. She is a product lead waypoint at HashiCorp. She's one of the kindest people that I've ever met. Working with her in our past, she's been a mentor for me, really helping me navigate the tech space, navigate career, but also just navigate being a Black woman living in these spaces that weren't necessarily designed for us. She's really incredibly thoughtful, has probably made me have some of the biggest epiphanies that I've had in my life about myself as a person and the way that I show up with other people, but also the way that I show up in the workplace. And I'm just really excited to have her on the podcast today to share her wisdom with all of you. And I'm really excited to see the lessons that we can learn from her past and how she can help us you know, morph into better versions of ourselves. So with that short intro, I want to give Buki an opportunity to introduce herself. Please don't hold back, girl. Like you are popping. Um, you've done incredible things so far, and I know you're going to do even greater things in the future. So tell the people, tell the people who you are. Thank you for that really, really kind introduction. I mean, I'm like, dang, okay. Um, <laughs> but um, no, so I, as Whitney just said, I am a product lead for Waypoint at HashiCorp. But my career starts a little bit, like basically about a decade ago when I graduated from undergrad with an electrical and computer engineering degree and everybody around me was becoming a product manager. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll be a PM. And so I started at the startup that had no product, but had multiple product managers, <laughs> moved to West Africa because... So I'm Nigerian um, and I immigrated to the States when I was nine. And basically when I was 23, I was like, I must go home. And I went back to Nigeria, worked at a couple startups there at, as a product manager and realized very quickly that my parents left Nigeria for a reason. But also like I was a cocky 23 year old and I was sort of just like, there's no one I can learn from here. I wanted to learn from folks. So I moved back to the States and so I kind of loved startups early in my career. And after that, I sort of was like, I'm sick of tech. So I spent a year working in the U.S. Senate for Senator Udall of New Mexico on tech policy. Ultimately realized that there was a lot of work to be done in the tech industry. And so that's sort of how I ended up at Microsoft. And as with working at a giant tech company, we got reorged into a whole other company. <laughs> ended up landing um, on the sort of advanced security products over there. Um, yeah, and that's sort of my journey to where I am at the moment is like I'm sort of in this as PM with a decade of experience and just trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Wow. You've actually had quite the career. And what I love about it is you it seems like you you aren't somebody that's afraid to take a risk. Like you have really just kind of done everything. You've relocated around the world you've taken on startups you've gone to big corporate companies i mean and i think for a lot of people they're they're not even able to take that leap of faith to to do something like that and so the fact that you've been able to do it in so many different ways is just tremendous do you feel like i guess like what has that experience been like for you how do you think it's influenced who you are how you approach your your work in life 
it's funny because like I never think about it like that. I never always every risk I've never felt like a giant risk. It always sort of felt like, oh, this is the the right next step. Um, like when I think about moving to Nigeria, I just sort of had this feeling like I need to go back home. And that was like the biggest thing. And I was like, this is so important that any fear I feel about this like is unimportant. And so I think for me, it's always making sure that I sort of have a really like aligned why, if that makes sense, right? Like, like I know why I'm making the move. There's a bunch of things that make it scary, but like I know that going to Nigeria was going to be important for my development as a human being. I knew that I needed to go back and be around Black folk and be around my people. Yes, it was scary. Yes, there was a bunch of moments where I was just like, what am I doing here? And so when I have something like that, that feels so like in alignment, so important, then everything else kind of doesn't matter as much. I don't know. Like, I think mm-hmm. this, and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel as scary. Um, but I would also say I was young and dumb. I don't think I even had a conception of like, hey, this, what could go wrong? I just was like, I'm here. I will do it. Whatever. We'll see what happens. And I will land on my feet. And I guess that's one thing is like doing that enough. I started to trust that I would be able to do it. I feel like it's so important to one's personal development to be able to have some of those experiences there. Even, even the ones that you look back on it, like you said, and you think to yourself, why on earth did I make that decision? Or what was I thinking? I, at least personally, I found like those have also been some of the most formative moments for me in helping me figure out how to navigate life as an adult and to feel confident that I have what it takes to be able to make it and to, to survive in sometimes really challenging circumstances. What fuels you? I mean, I don't think that everyone is as blessed to be able to go into that mode and just really lock in and execute in the way that you've done just in life in general. It's funny that you asked that question right now. I like, I'm like, I don't have that feeling anymore as much. So I'm like, I don't know. In the, in the past, I have no idea. Um, I think some of it is like growing up and immigrating and not really having like parents be able to explain what was going on around me. Like I'm in a completely new country. I'm nine years old, get off the plane. Right. And I'm just like now in different schools, different systems, different ways of like different culture. And I didn't really have a lot of, my parents were Nigerian parents. They were like, you'll be fine. You're good. And so there was, I think in me was always the sense of like, independence and like I if like I have to figure it out over time as these challenges have been coming up and as I've been having to sort of independently navigate them I started to develop the muscles to be able to do it and now as an adult like now that I'm you know 32 and I'm looking at that I'm thinking to myself that has served me well for so long how do I now let other people help me let other people see me so that I'm no longer just muscling through everything and so I think that's sort of the place that I'm in right now is like yeah I can do some I can do some magical shit I can get stuff done and and also the kinds of challenges that I'm interested in solving the kinds of problems I want to be solving in the next decade of my life are not problems that I want to solve or can solve alone Mm -hmm. and so 
how do I stop trying to do all this, all of it by myself and be like, and how do I let other people help? And how do I let other people shine in, in the ways that they need to shine and give folks the sort of guidance and support that they need? And so like, I think that's, that's which is kind of half answering your question and also <laughs> me being like, yeah, like I think that it was by necessity. And now I'm starting to realize this, the limitations of that way of operating in the world. I actually think that's an excellent answer. And again, this is why I said that Buki is a personal mentor for me because I feel like you just spoke to my soul. So my question to you, and honestly, it might just be, it might be unanswerable at this point is what are the steps that you're taking to transition into that? Like, that's a whole different world. I, I mean, like, I'm like getting goosebumps because I feel like, I think that that really resonates Back in when I was working in D.C. and and one of my mentors there, at some point, it was like it was weird because it was my birthday, and she says to me, she says, "Buki, like you have to let people see you. The you that you're trying to be is like not as cool as the the you that you are." And the example she gave was, I think I told her the story of coming to the U.S. and the way I typically tell the story is. I came and it was the land of opportunity and milk and honey. And it was so great. And I was like, so excited to be here. And the truth is I landed in Logan airport, got off the plane and was like, how is this different? And then it was just like hard. It was miserable for the next, I like conservatively seven years. <laughs> like, like it was just a really hard slog to like learn the culture to figure myself out as I'm, you know, going through puberty, going through like adolescence in, in a completely foreign country without my family. And she was like, the real story is so much more real. It's so much more cool than the story of like opportunities here. And like the, you know, the traditional like immigrant story that people often hear. And so when she said that to me, it really, I was like, oh my God, you're so right. I really don't let people know the real me. I don't really let people know what I'm thinking like that. I just tell people kind of what they want to hear and I don't know how to do that. Like, I've never done that before. How do I tell people what, what I'm actually thinking? And what if they don't like it? And like, what if they get mad at me? Because like half the time, it's kind of things that people get mad at. And so <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> like, I, I think one of the things that was really cool was like finding those humans who could see me. One person I'll call out is like one of my coworkers at Microsoft, him being like, oh, I've never managed a Black woman before. And my response was, the bar is below the ground. Like the bar isn't a ground level. Like you don't have to treat me any kind of way. You just have to treat me like a human being with intelligent thoughts. Amen. Seriously, that's it. And like, you will be better than 99% of the managers I've ever had. And so like, it's this sort of rebalancing and being like, I don't have to tough it through every single thing. I can just opt out of scenarios that don't feel good to me. And I still will, I say, I still struggle with asking for help. I still struggle with like letting, being like, I am going through it right now. I need people to show up in these ways. Yeah. So it's, I don't really have a, I don't have a playbook. I don't have any sort of thing. I'm just sort of like trying to figure it out a little bit at a time. You mentioned that 
that story, your immigration story of landing at Boston Logan International. As that nine-year-old, what changed for you? Like, was it different before when you were in Nigeria versus when you arrived in the U.S.? Like, what was that moment where you felt like you couldn't show people who you are? In Nigeria, like, I had grandparents and aunts and uncles and, like, all of this extended family that was just, like, there, like, right there. And when we moved, it was just my parents and I have three siblings. So there just wasn't a lot of adults, like, capacity, you know, plus moving and all of that stuff. So I think part of it was, like, that, right? Like, just not having a ton of adults and a ton of, like, people who looked like me, who had the same cultural background as me, like, in easy proximity. And in Nigeria, like, this is such a weird thing to say about yourself as a kid, but I was like a precocious, really smart kid. Like I was really smart. And in Nigeria, people really like smart kids. Like they are just it's like, oh, that kid is so smart. And it was just like, people get, you should be a doctor, which is the Nigerian way of being like, you're going places, kid, you know? <laughs> and so like, and then I got here and being a smart, and now I realize it's being a smart black girl was not a thing that a lot of people knew what to do with. And so I like got a lot of like negative feedback and I got a lot of like, you know, mean notes in my locker and just like now in high, now I know it was bullying, but like at the time I was just like, yeah. oh, I guess I'm just like a terrible person. Um, and so, and I was also primarily in like white spaces. And so like, and with no language to talk about race. And so it was like, I think all of those things combined to being like, oh, I'm pretty isolated in, you know, suburban Massachusetts. And how do I survive being isolated in suburban Massachusetts? I'm just, I'm still processing, but I mean, I just, I can't imagine what that must feel like to be nine years old and to have in some ways your world turned upside down. How do you feel like you move forward, you know, from here? How do you unwind that wall that you've had to build up to protect yourself? I think the thing that's coming to mind is to answer that question is like rest. Letting people see me is actually kind of exhausting in a lot of ways because it's new and I'm not used to it and I'm not used to like being emotionally actually checked, checked in emotionally to things. And so I'm like, oh, this is overwhelming and this is exhausting and and so I think some of that is letting there be space for rest and letting there, that, that be a thing that's okay. And like, I think also letting go of the idea of what, who I thought I was and what I thought I wanted. You know, all of those like black movies where there's the successful black woman who's like in this like glass condo or whatever in, in a big city and really want any of that I just want to be surrounded by like warm people and like good meals and do pottery and read and write and I'm like oh okay so like letting go of that so that there's space for whatever the next thing is I don't know what it is yet but I'll figure it out I don't know how to ask this well but just think about this question of like identity I feel like I, I know I felt this and Charles, like you may have felt this as well, 
but being in spaces where you feel like other or you feel different, whether it's like the music you listen to or the clothes you wear, the way you talk, if you felt that way, how have you overcome that or how do you fight that? Like, I feel like that's something I carried a lot. I don't know, sometimes it's it's difficult to be confident in who you are, comfortable with who you are, because you just can't, I hate to say it, you just can't like check the box or fit the box, but also at the same time, like who wants to do that? So it's kind of just this like mind game internally of, I don't know, where am I going to find, not find safety, but just find comfort? I don't really, I feel the exact same feelings and somebody... I think this might have been my mom said something like, Bookie, it often feels like you're trying to blend in when you're, you just stick out. Mm-hmm. Like mm. you just stick out. And mm. I think I'm still on a journey of figuring out how to do that. How to like, because I think there are two things. One, the, there's like the, the, very sciencey part of me that's like when you are an only in any space it is stressful there's like a baseline stress that you are feeling all the time and like there's some level of hey how do i do the things biologically to like de-stress like making sure my body isn't in fight or fight and then on the other side of it is like okay how do i make sure that i'm in more spaces with like black women or women of color where i'm not the only, and I see myself reflected. Even if it's not all of me, I still see some of me reflected. I did this thing at the end of 2021 um, with a bunch of like women of color. There was like a rhythm to everybody's story. Like everyone had the story of like, I'm a brilliant woman of color. And then some white organization takes me under their wing and I'm like, you're so brilliant. And I'm like, great, I can be brilliant in the world. And then you start being brilliant everywhere and doing things and changing things. I mean, like, you want some more people of color here. We're going to make it better for them and like all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden you just basically get slapped in the face. You get pushed out, you get whatever. And something really like, like that happens. And it's like the same rhythm. And I think the thing that I'm hoping, because I don't know yet, and I feel it a little bit, is slowly it'll matter less that I don't fit in in the other spaces because like Mm. I think there's this um, Nikki Giovanni quote once you know who you are you don't have to worry knowing myself or knowing where I come from and knowing like and having those like women of color spaces black women spaces talking to folks like um like you Whitney and being like oh this isn't a unique experience I'm not feeling anything special, not that special, but like, not that, like, I'm not feeling anything special. And it's okay that the word that I've been using a lot is like, I'm not legible in this space. I feel like I got to take a pause. I'm like, I honestly, what you said, your mom said, I almost shed tears because I think it summarized the last 29 years of my life, probably. Our light, like our spectacularness is the fact that we don't fit. And I don't think that I've heard that like so succinct and so beautifully put ever. It it, honestly, it just, it kind of blew me. So shout out to your mom, because that really, that touched me. 
she's probably one of the more most insightful people I know. Um, she's been through it, and I think is also one of the few people who like see me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm just equally just processing. So much of it seems to come back to identity and who we see ourselves as and how we believe the world perceives us and where we see ourselves in relation to other people in the world. And identity is hard. It is so hard. And I I appreciate your point that you're still figuring it out. There's something powerful in what you noted about just accepting to some extent that you don't necessarily fit in. Mm-hmm. But it's so much easier said than done. And I don't feel like I've figured out how to actually do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a thing you always feel. I think it's a thing mm. that ebbs and flows. And I think it's like, you're, mm. it's a constant working on, but like it's constantly having and finding strategies and constantly, like it's like a little bit of that and, and building your capacity to be comfortable being the only one. Because I think at some point what happens also is once you start being yourself in the world, you sort of become a beacon. Mm-hmm. And other people who are like, you're kind of special weird, find you. Mm. Um, and it gets a little bit easier because you start building that community around yourself rather than trying mm. to fit into things that have already been created. Yeah. And we create more space in that way. And I will say, you know, one thing that I appreciate about this conversation, and I hadn't really thought about it until we were talking just now, is when we originally thought about this segment, you know, we'd kind of thought about it as, come on and, you know, tell tell the listeners about something that you've struggled with or a challenge and in some ways how you overcame it it's not that simple. You know, there are things that are challenges from our past that we're still, there's still challenges today. Like we've learned something from them. We've grown perhaps, but we're still figuring it out. But I will ask a question to you. Reflecting on this theme of identity and everything that we've talked about, is there anything that you would have changed about your past or about how you chose to handle any of these situations? I mean, yes. I wouldn't have grown if the answer was no, right? Like I would be the same person I was when I was 25 or 23 if the answer is no. Um, But I think this is something I often, I said a lot in the past is I did the best that I could with the knowledge and the skills that I have. Mm-hmm. That's a big one right there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think I fully answered your question because I'm just like, yeah, of course. But also I did the best that I could. And mm-hmm. well that's grace, right? You did the best yeah. that you could. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. I mean, it is the fact that we made the decisions that we made and the choices that we did that got us to where we are. And you have experiences, you learn, you grow, you you take what you can from that experience and you try and figure out how to move forward in the next day. I think beyond being 
enlightened today. I think I'm having a moment of just like gratefulness, right? Like it's in moments like these where I guess I just have these bursts or these spikes of realizing like how blessed I am to have the people that I have in my life and to have the ability to, you know, get on a call on a Saturday and have this level of a conversation, right? Like this is a vulnerable conversation and just being able to be seen in this space. So I think that is the feeling that is sitting with me right now, just gratitude. Thank you. And also like, thank you all for creating the space. I think this, these kinds of conversations, people are honest about their lives and what their mistakes were and all of that stuff is just so, it's so necessary. Um, I think I said this at, at the end of this women group that I was, was part of, and I think it's true in so many spaces. Is I think when we hear people tell their stories in truthful and authentic ways, and we say, we see and believe them, it also helps us believe ourselves and our stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like incredibly powerful. So thank you. No, thank, thank you, you for sharing. There are times when we have these conversations and you come out of the end of it and, and like Whitney said, it's just, you feel so profoundly grateful that you're able to hear people speak about who they are so authentically because you don't get it all the time. So thank you so much for just sharing your story and being willing to share this space with us. I um. We always like, or we're trying to, trying to end the episodes on a, a light moment for people. So we ask this, we ask this question, and you know, take it as you will. There's no right or wrong answer. But what is the last song that you were listening to? You know, if you were to pull up your Spotify or your Apple Music or YouTube Music, whatever you listen YouTube. to, YouTube. I'm not, I'm not judging. <laughs> Whitney, Whitney just got a Spotify account like last year. So. Don't hit on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I, it's funny because I like binge like albums. I was just listening to an album on loop for like two months. Yeah. And yeah. So it's like always because if like if I have my music out loud, people are like, we've literally heard this song so many times. I'm like, I don't know. I just need to listen to this more. Um, and right now it's like uh, Love Damini by Burna Boy. Um, and so it's a song on there. Like, how bad could it be? But I love, I mean, I love Burna Boy. Burna Boy is like such a, he's like such a quintessential Nigerian. Like one of my favorite things about Nigerians is like, I think Nigerians are like Texans and like like Parisians and like French people because like all of those people are so unapologetically like I am yeah. Nigerian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I love that. If you've enjoyed hanging out with us today, be sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And also follow us on Instagram at Accident Prone Podcast. See you next time. Bye.